In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, as promised, I have Leaf to lean back on the show. It's been it's been a few weeks since me and Leaf sat down and, and talked basketball, and I'm I'm very interested in hearing Leaf's summer league takes. So stay tuned to find out what's been on Leaf's mind the last few weeks. Big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies, and my co-host, Leif Tuline, the guy that watches more college basketball than anyone else. College basketball is over, and Summer League is now officially over, and like I said, in the opening, it's been a couple weeks. So, Leif, how's everything been going your way, and um, are you... Glad that this 2023 cycle is over and looking forward to 2024. I'm not quite on to 2024, but but I think it was rewarding to see 2023 play out the way it did for and I, I went to the summer league in Salt Lake, watched plenty of the one in Vegas. And, you know, it's always fun to watch the guys that you're like, oh, I really like this pick. I really uh, think they fell into a good situation and, and watch them play with a closer eye. And I think so far, based off the way, and it's way, way, way too early, um, I think a lot of my evaluations uh, that I made from the combine or even before then seem to be fairly fairly accurate based off that first impression. So it feels good, but it's obviously a way to go. And then just as a basketball fan, I love watching the summer league, watch, watching the passion, the, the energy that these people are playing with, especially before some of the better players get phased out, whether it's with injury or just precautionary stuff. So I'm not quite onto the 2024 cycle, but but I am I'm happy with the way that 2023's played out. I'm all in on 2024. I am totally in on 2024. I've already started watching film and breaking down videos. I'm gonna have some content coming out pretty soon on NBA Big Board. It's just it seems like I've been talking about the 2023 class since last August, and probably even before that, considering that you know Victor's name has been buzzing since really really since the under 19s two years ago so like i said i'm ready for 2024 i think i've got my number one pick my early way too early number one pick and unlike last year we don't know (laughs) last year at this time we knew who was number one and um you know we thought we knew who was number two but you just never know i mean a player could emerge kind of like brandon miller did all right so let's talk about summer league who was the biggest surprise for you in Summer League, whether it was the California Classic, Salt Lake City Summer League, or Las Vegas? Who surprised you the most? Uh, I would say Jordan Walsh's offense was probably the, the big one that I, I expected him to play better and look better in the system of the NBA where there's more spacing. He's allowed to run and gun um, and be just a 3 and D, but, but he shot really well. He got out in transition defensively. He was what I expected. And uh, that's what I'm kicking myself about a little bit because I had Jordan Walsh entering last season before the college basketball season, top 20. And I ended with him around 35, 37. And uh, I had many discussions with Richard at the Combine where we're watching him play. And I was like, I want to see what he does so badly because it seems so apparent what he can do. But every time I watch him play, I end up like, oh, there's something left to be desired. 
And then he, he did exactly like in a summer league setting, exactly what I anticipate he'd be able to do throughout most of the season where I was trying to be so lenient with what he did. So I wouldn't say I was surprised he was able to do it, but I would say he really helped his stock. Um, and it looks like he'll be a rotational piece sooner rather than later for the Celtics. Yeah, I thought he's played well, shot the ball well, really well. And and he shot the ball well over the summer. And I was actually surprised that he didn't do a pro day. I know I've talked to someone close to him and they elected not to do one at, at the combine. Um, but he, he's again, he shot the ball well. He's the one that, that, you know, when you watch his high school film, you saw the high school version of Jordan Walsh in summer league, as opposed to the Arkansas version of Jordan Walsh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we all do is just kind of spend too much time evaluating. And sometimes you just got to stick to your guns and, and then put it in the context. And Jordan is someone that, uh, and I've been watching him for years. I can't sit here and say that I was really, really high on him as, as an NBA player, as a top 20 pick in the preseason. I thought he was right outside of the first round, which he ended up going. But I think in a redraft, just based off of like the last, what, three weeks, I think he might go higher. I think there might be some teams that are already quietly kicking themselves because there's some players that they probably just overanalyzed. And and the next player that I want to talk about is someone that I feel like multiple teams, 30-something teams overanalyzed, Leonard Miller, and it was a guy that you really liked. I know. And Leonard has played well. And now I'm starting to think, like, you know what? Why couldn't Leonard Miller be a small ball starting five for NBA team one day? I mean, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> so what what are your thoughts on, on, on Leonard Miller? Uh, I I still love Leonard Miller. I, I was baffled he fell to 33. And as a Jazz fan, it was disappointing because the team that we have the picks of is the Minnesota Timberwolves. And, of course, they, they trade up and get a player that I think was a lottery talent at 33. Um, so what what I agree with is, as I think my pitch was he can play the four, he can play the five, and he can do like one of them as a starting rotation time and the other one as the backup. Like I think he's got the versatility to play both and not be pigeonholed into one singular role. And and the I mean I I appeal the numbers a lot in terms of him. Like he was seventeen and ten as it most for most of the year as an eighteen year old in the G League. Turns nineteen, it was really really good. And he was even almost even better without Scoot Henderson, which you think maybe oh Scoot's creating all this stuff for him. He, he had stretches better. where he, he yeah was he, he he <laughs> yeah. was better. Um and and he was doing things like last year in the combine. Everyone was really excited about him. It's funny. I did a full 180. I, I was like, what on earth are people seeing? Like, he looks terrible. He changed his game, but he was still like, a, like, he was still applauded for being like a point forward. So it's not like he lost those skills. He just, he honed his game to what was more important for winning. And it really helped him. But I think he's got more upside, both as someone who can handle the ball and not, not full time, but just like be able to create a little bit, be a passer. And it's just really rare to be that big, that athletic. Like it's Tari Eason. It's, it's Kawhi Leonard, it's Patrick Williams, and it's OG Ananobi that have similar measurements to Leonard Miller. And he's bigger. He's he's six eleven yeah, though. He's yeah, and, and he's he's longer, but like in terms of wingspan, hand size, and just like plus differential and all that stuff, he he's the he's in that that ilk and that type of category is so rare. Um, 
I just didn't see a way that he wouldn't be productive in some capacity. And I think he's got more upside than almost anyone. Like I, I had him 13 in my final big board. Way more upside because again, the the ball handling and the passing and the point forward center stuff wasn't really unlocked in, in the G League. He showed some flashes of it. I know I posted a tweet where there's a play where he, I don't know if he got the rebound. I think it may have been a made basket, but they gave him the ball, let him bring it up court. And he ended up turning the corner, ended up, uh, once he turned the corner, backed his man down to a, a post, a post up, but couldn't like get to the basket. And he shot like this one leg turnaround jumper or something like that. But it just showed that the skill level that he's more than just a, a dunker spot big or guy that's just going to get garbage points off of, off of dump offs. And he rebounds no, no matter what the scenario is. He rebounds. I wonder, like, did he fall because you can't put him into a, a box? There's not, like, a clean comparison. I wonder, is that the reason why he fell? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, that that could be the reason, but, I mean, and, and this is not hindsight, really, but I don't see a reason that that's a valid excuse, like, a reason for him to fall because – Yes, he may not be your prototypical five. Yes, he may not be your prototypical four, but basketball is becoming positionless. Like, you look at some of these players, the best attribute they have is, hey, they can defend multiple positions. Well, he can do that. What what else? Like, I, I've always said a, re, a trait that I think gets underrated is rebounding. Like, he he's one of the best rebounders in this entire class, even if you considered him power forward. Like, a lot of things listed him as a small forward. I don't care what position you list him at. He can go out, go out and rebound. He's going to defend. He's got a great motor, and he's young, and he put up 17 and 10 against professionals. Like, he did that playing a role. So imagine if he played college basketball, like if he just was allowed the same, like, freedom that some of these guys that were top recruits were allowed. So I always just thought, you know what? I know he played a role in, at a team that he probably won't play immediately, but he did it at 19 years old and excelled. Like, he was a double-double machine at 19 years old against professionals, and and I could never unsee that. So that was one I definitely had ready, but I would say it was less of a surprise to me because I expected him to be good. All right. When we return, I want to get your thoughts and your take on Keontae George and the Utah Jazz's draft class, which two of their three first-round picks didn't play in Summer League. But first, I want to talk to you about prize picks. Prize picks is it's daily fantasy made easy. And all you have to do is pick two to six players and you decide if they will score more or less than their prize picks projection, and you can win up to 25 times your money. Yes, 25 times your money. There's no competing against other people. It is just, it is just you versus the projections. And prize picks offers projections on pretty much any sport you can think of, whether it's NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, PGA, college football, college basketball, women's college basketball, Soccer, WNBA, NASCAR, tennis, boxing, I mean, the list goes on. And all you have to do is just pick two to six players and decide if they will score more or less than their prize picks projections. The entries can be made at 60 seconds or less. It is that simple, it is that easy. It is safe, you get your money out quickly. And it is currently operational in 30 states and to our neighbors to the north in Canada. So all you have to do is download the Price Picks app and go to pricepicks.com and just play daily fantasy sports. And if you are a first time user, you can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. But you gotta use the promo code locked on. 
If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Price Picks will give you $50. So do not forget to enter the promo code locked on and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. I know I appreciate it. I know Leaf appreciates everybody that has been listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube during this draft cycle. We'll also ask you to like, share, subscribe, leave comments on the YouTube channel because we're, we're so thankful. We, we want to hear from you. In our next episode, Leaf will be back and we're going to talk about more Summer League action because it's just too much to cover in one episode. But I want to talk about Keontae George. Keontae had a phenomenal Summer League. In my opinion, he had the best Summer League. He looked like high school Keontae George. High school Keontae, and I wouldn't even say like high school as an IMG Academy Keontae. He looked like I school Louisville, Texas, Keontae George, as opposed to Baylor Keontae. He lost some weight. Um, I think from he said he got up to like 215 to 190. He actually told me this this summer. And if you've been listening to Locked on NBA Big Boy, you heard it first. There was an interview with Keontae where I had him on here. Well, I don't know if I posted it on, on the YouTube, but I know it was on the NBA Big Board newsletter where he talked about the weight loss. He talked about he was quicker and got his pop back. And we talked about the people that are concerned about his athleticism. And he has shown that all of that is back. So what were your thoughts on Keontae? Well, uh, I mean, coming into the draft, I'm just going to give the full full perspective here. I th- I watched him play against Canada and Italy in the U23s without Adam Flagler and without LJ Cryer. And I think I did a podcast. You may have been out of town. And I, I came in and said, okay, this guy's Jamal Murray. That was my whole premise. Mm-hmm. And then it became a more popular comp than than just like, I thought that was just a you know good one off the top of my head. Everyone started using that as a ceiling. And I think that's fair. But I watched him in person at the Salt Lake, C- uh, Salt Lake City Summer League in the first half playing against Trey Mann, Jalen Williams, Jared Butler, some NBA guards. And he looked like he belonged, but he looked like he was somewhat in between playing basketball and playing point guard. Like he he was like, oh man, I got to be a point guard. And he would stop and he wouldn't shoot. I was like, that's peculiar. Keontae always shoots that. Second half of that game, he scores 15 points. The first half of the next game, he scores 14 points, rolled his ankle a little bit, didn't play much the second half. And then he goes into Vegas and he tears the nets, a 33 and 10 with two assists. And that's 10 assists for those, those of you guys listening. And it just looked so easy for him. The first half, he had seven assists. And like the, the defense was gravitating to the way he plays. The second game, he scores a, a lot of points as well. He, he averaged 29.5 points per game of the, of the ones he completed. And then he got hurt in his third game. But what I, what I was impressed with is he made a concerted effort from the Jazz perspective. He made a concerted effort to be a point guard. And I mentioned for a long time, we had this discussion while we were in Chicago at the Combine, is if Keontae George plays point guard, at the next level, he has a higher ceiling than if he plays a two guard. Like, it, it just makes, like, if Jamal Murray's better because he's able to play the point guard than if he was just strictly a two guard. And so from the Jazz perspective, I thought, man, how many rookies actually pop? Typically, it's second years that get the, hey, you're too good for Summer League label. Like, Jabari Smith Jr. was way yeah. too good for Summer League. Jalen Williams, after one half, was way too good for Summer League. Keontae George Murray. probably, yeah, he was probably too good for Summer League after those two games anyway. And you you love to see that because he was playing the point guard and he was a scoring threat. 
and he bent the defense to his will and used his gravity to create for others. I was really, really impressed. And I've I've been dealing locked on jazz for David Locke, and lots of episodes have been talking about what Keontae means to the jazz, what the timeline can be for for him to have an impact. And I don't think it's necessarily immediate to to really be an immediate factor for the jazz, but by year three, he's the starting point guard for the jazz and he's the future at that position, which has been a bit of a, a rabbit hole the past since Mike Conley's moved on. Yeah. I mean, I think he's going to be able to come in and contribute right, right away. I mean, the Keontae that we saw at the global jam last year where he had the keys is very similar to what we saw in summer league. Like he is a point guard. I know there was concerns about, about the playmaking and people thought he was a more so of a, a score. And I talked to one scout at the beginning of the season and he was like, well, we know Keontae can score. We know he likes to score. He only thinks about himself first and, and, and second. And I thought that he did a good job of proving that he can play the point, but he can play off the ball too. And so um, I was impressed. I think he had, he had what well, it was equal based off of my numbers. He had as many dunks in the summer league than he had all last season at Baylor. And again, I think a lot of that is related to how, how different he looks and just talking to multiple scouts and even talking to his mom who I sat, um, I sat by her at a game and she was just telling me all the stuff that he did, um, you know, to, to get his diet right and just come into summer league and like tip top shape and his maturity level. I knew he was a mature kid, but his maturity level just based off of different conversations has has impressed me even more. What are your thoughts on the draft on the Jazz's draft picks? And so I feel like Jazz Twitter is already kind of on the front office's head about selecting Taylor Hendricks over Cam Whitmore. And it seems like Cam Whitmore is the guy that, and it seems like it's Jazz fans the most that are like, how did we pass this guy up? What are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, as the draft was happening, um, if anyone listened, I was on the the locked on live stream with Nick Angstad, and for for every pick from like seven onward, I said Cam Whitmore should be the pick. So I uh, I get the appeal, especially seeing him win summer league MVP. You see him scoring a lot, uh, and then for the Jazz fans' perspective, you saw him really play well against the Jazz while Hendricks was sitting on the bench. That said. I think Hendricks was someone that fits the modern basketball game really well. And he fits what the Jazz are trying to build, be long, rangy defenders who can shoot the basketball. Mm-hmm. And Whitmore is a ball-in-hand guy. And I think the the Jazz may have not liked the intel, whether it's medical, whether it's some of the, the rumors that fly, but that Kyle Neptune, coach of Villanova, and, and him did not get along. Uh, that may have factored in, but I also think Fit wise, I don't think the Jazz wanted a six six uh, wing who who's kind of a bully ball scorer, someone who's got the ability to shoot but likes the ball in his hands, doesn't pass much, and they don't see him as a star power guy, but not a, not someone who can also be like a really good team player. Whereas Hendricks's appeal is he projects to be someone that really fits a, into a team with some upside, as he's a nineteen year old who shot thirty nine percent from three and is a tremendous athlete. Um. So that would be what I'd say is like, okay, like hold your horses. But I mean, I, I'd have to admit like Cam Whitmore is number five on my board. So it's like, I, I think in terms of the power of, of like how good they can be, that's because I buy into potential and not really fit. Uh, I think he's a higher potential player, 
but it's way too early and it's hard to it's unfair to Hendricks to be like hey he didn't play so therefore he's a bust like yeah you gotta watch them play yeah yeah man it's, it's definitely unfair but I, I I think that Cam Whitmore is going to be the guy that different fan bases for the next year are going to especially if he plays well they're going to be looking at their guy like how do we pass Cam Whitmore over, over this guy? Which I, I think with, with Cam, he he doesn't have a clear cut path to playing time with, with the Rockets anyway. They just paid they just paid uh, Dylan Brooks what eighty eighty six million dollars. So I mean, you know how how the NBA works. Hey, if we paid you this money. We're gonna make sure that that you play. We're gonna give you a bunch of opportunities to fail, and um, so so you wonder like how many minutes. And so it turns into a situation where even if Cam is not playing, and let's say it's a guy like let's say it's Taylor Hendricks or or Grady Dick or Jet Howard, and they're not playing well, I think those fan bases are are going to keep saying we should have had Cam Whitmore, we should have took Cam Whitmore. All right, when we return, I want to get your thoughts on Victor Wimbayama and Brandon Miller. They both play. Well, I know Victor played two games in, in, in Vegas. I just want to get hear your takes on that, and then want to um, want you to share your thoughts on Brandon Miller's up and down summer league, which was across two different leagues in the California Classic and Las Vegas. All right, it's the last segment, and let's just talk about Victor Wimbayama. What were your thoughts seeing him in, in summer league for for those two games? I think he's getting too much scrutiny for his first game. Like, he didn't shoot well. But if you watch that game, he protected the rim at a level that no one was making anything near the rim. Like, it was alarming almost. And I think maybe that was just like the, they used to say the Gobert factor. It's, it was like the Wembenyama factor. Maybe people kind of had the yips around the rim. But that was just impressive to me. And even though he shot terribly, I was really, really impressed with just how smooth he was able to dribble the ball, pass the ball, and understand how to create for other people. And then, of course, in the next game, he goes 9 of 14 with 27 points, and and the game just looks easy to him. So I think people are giving him too much scrutiny for the first game, um, and I, I think he'll fit right in. Like, there, there's not too much to analyze from my perspective. I think he was just a like even better defender in the summer league than I even imagined just because I thought, you know, athleticism, people are going to relentlessly attack, maybe he'll foul or some, something. Everyone looked clueless trying to score on him. Yeah, I mean, they were using it as a roamer. And I know I heard uh, the uh, podcast P, the Paul George podcast with, with Brandon Miller, and he was just talking about, like, how weird it was because he's picking him up full court. He says, you know, when you basically see him, your mind automatically thinks of a center. And he's like, but this guy was picking him up, um, not necessarily full court, but just picking him up around a three-point line, defending him in space. And you're just not used to seeing someone at that size that's defending out away from the rim. I mean, I I think the only reason why I believe the scrutiny is fair is because the way he's been hyped, the way the NBA hyped him up, the way he's been labeled the best prospect since LeBron James, the way that he played – the last time he was in Las Vegas, where he averaged over what, like 34 points per game. And so I think that the expectations were enormous, and I didn't think he could live up to the expectations. And, I mean, I was there. I mean, the line was around the arena 
like two, like an hour and a half, two hours before the first game. And I think the first game was at like three o'clock Vegas time. And I don't think Victor's game was until, I, I don't know, time, my times are off. But anyway, there was at least two or three games before Victor's game and the line was, the lines were wrapped around. So people came in expecting him to score 30 points per game. I think that he was not in good shape. And the reason why I don't think he was in good shape is because he's just been out of sync. Like he just finished playing his, his season in Europe. And then for like two weeks, he's like going to the draft and he's got all these media stuff to do. And he's trying to find a place while other guys have been preparing. And I mean, everybody kind of has their own thing, but I just feel like he had to ramp all the way down and then try to ramp, ramp up. And so I thought he'd be a little rusty. And then the second game, he looked like he was a lot more confident, um, show what he's capable of. Unfortunately, I I uh, left my seat <laughs> to get – I think I needed to get something to drink. Actually, I saw something. It's kind of off the subject. I saw something called the Las Vegas throat. I know it sounds crazy, but it's like the dry weather and makes your throat scratchy and itchy. And then, of course, at summer league, you're constantly talking. And I pretty much talked myself to where I couldn't even talk anymore. So I leave at halftime to go get something to drink, and I just don't even get a chance to make it back to my seat. So I missed the second half of his 27-point game, but I ended up watching, watching the film. So if, if anybody else was at Summer League and your throat hurts and you feel like you can't talk, it is a real thing. All right, let's talk about Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller had the epitome of an up-and-down summer. Luckily for him, he ended it on a good note when he had 26 points. But there was there was a point where after like three games, he was shooting like 17% from three, 27% from the floor. What are your thoughts on Miller? Are there any concerns or do you think, you know, it's summer league, there's no, no need to overreact? I wouldn't say there's any concerns that I didn't have like for someone to be picked number two. Like, like I, I've been very clear. I, I still would have taken Scoot Henderson higher. And I made a case for Amon Thompson for much of the year. I ended up with Brandon Miller ahead of Amon Thompson. But um, the reason that those two had a case for me in terms of Scoot Henderson and Amon Thompson is just they have these dynamic traits you can't teach. Brandon Miller is a more skilled basketball player right now, and he's, he's a really skilled scorer. He's bigger. He fits the archetype of what's coveted in the NBA. But he just doesn't have that athleticism that some of those guys that fit his archetype have that allow them to be so good. Like Paul George is his his favorite player. Uh, I compared him to Paul George before the season began, and I realized that he did not, he's not quite the athlete that Paul George was and is. But my, my reason I bring that up is I feel like in summer league, sometimes these guys that have better skill than athleticism don't get to showcase it because the game's not like scripted to to can do, to be like skillful. It, it's athletic based. It's a track meet, and I think at times he was forcing, trying to do things he couldn't. Uh, he like he wasn't able to do, and then other games he was able to execute what he was able to do in college and be a twenty and ten basically twenty and eight guy, and so. I don't have any concerns about him being good. I just don't know if he can live up to the number two pick, which is with the same concern I had, just because I think a lot of the way he scores is so skill-based that, and he's not as dynamic as some of these other players that are picked in that same realm and, and projected to be as good as they're projected to be. So it's nothing that the Summer League provided. Um, I just think what it provided is like confirmation of 
his level of athleticism being not at that elite tier that some people may have like wanted to believe it was, or maybe in my case, I think it confirmed that he's going to have to be guile based as opposed to skill, uh, as opposed to strength or speed. Yeah. My brother is like, he's Chris Middleton. I, I've compared him to Danny Granger a lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like he would, he's going to benefit playing with LaMelo and playing with like a point guard, which is something that you can make a strong case and say the Hornets did not have a point guard on, on their, on their summer league roster, at least not someone that would, um, create easy shots for him. But then on the the flip side of that, you can say, well, if I'm taking a guy number two, I don't want someone that is going to be heavily reliant on someone getting him the ball and, and creating for him. You want someone that can create their own offense. And I, I think Brandon Miller is a good athlete. I just think that in this draft class, because he was ahead of Scoot and the Thompson twins who are like phenomenal athletes, it kind of makes his athleticism look like, like it's lacking compared to those guys, and so I think he'll be fine. I think that, um, you know, he's he's going to be a weapon eventually. I think he'll be able to make plays out of pick and roll. I think he's going to be a good rebounder. I think that he's someone that is going to be able to average seven or eight rebounds per game at the wing position, which is pretty good. And it's, I think he's going to be someone that can get the rebound and, and, and bring the ball up court. So I, I think that there is value in a big wing. Uh, the three-point shooting should be better. I mean, I, I hope it's better than Summer League because he was not efficient for three in Summer League. I think he should be able to get some open looks and even some corner threes. Um, but I, I thought he played – I thought he played well. I thought he would have played better. But um, that Charlotte team – was just an absolute mess and, and a disaster. All right, when we come back in another episode, there's so much that we didn't cover. We didn't cover today. I want to get Leaf's opinion on the Thompson twins and Anthony Black and some second round guys that that stood out. So stay tuned for another episode coming up in the next episode of Locked On NBA Big Board. And once again, it's Rafael Barlow, the Leaf Tulane, and we are out.